0: podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lilac Saperstein, and this is the show where we explore audiology from your perspective, the experience that you have at your audiologist's office and everywhere else in your life, at school, with your friends, around the dinner table, and how audiology actually impacts your life. That is what the show is all about, and I'm so excited to launch two very exciting things at once, with two exciting guests as well. So first of all, we are talking about the launch of this incredible book, Pat a Pillow, with the author of this book, Valerie James Abbott. Thank you, Valerie, for being in touch, for sending me a copy of the book, and sharing Bridget's story and your family's story in this lovely, lovely book. And We're going to dive into that. In addition, we're also talking about the whole conversation about late-onset hearing loss, and how that experience is also unique and important to address and with us today we also have Justin Osman who's going to tell us more about his journey as well as the incredible work that you are doing so welcome to you both
1: I'm honored thank you for what you do your amazing podcast so We're just honored to be on your show. Thank you.
0: And hey, Valerie. Hi. I'm happy to chat again. I always feel that way when I talk to people. And then at a certain point, I'm like, I wish everyone could hear what you just said. So here we are. That's why you have a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's start with you, Valerie. And I'd love for you to tell us about Bridget,
2: about your family, and about how this fabulous book came to be. Thank you so much for the invitation to join you today. I mean, we have millions of families around the world who share a journey, although many of us take different paths. And ours started back in 2005. My youngest daughter was born, Bridget, and she passed the newborn hearing screen. And we had no reason to think of anything. She came home happy, healthy, My oldest child, Mary Claire, was three years older than her, so I kind of felt a little seasoned. I kind of knew what to expect. And when she began preschool at age two, we weren't expecting anything other than a normal preschool experience. And it was about six months into that experience that her preschool teachers started to say something is up. It was actually during a parent-teacher conference. They said, are you concerned about Bridget's speech? Or her language development. And I said, no.
0: So many times it's teachers or people outside the home who don't know your child and they don't know what's normal for them or how they are all the time. To them, they also have the frame of reference of other kids and how children are doing in those environments. So it's really good that you were able to hear them, that they were able to talk to you. That conversation is really important. And the second point on that is that they didn't say, we have concerns about her
2: hearing, They have concerns about her speech. Exactly. And part of that is because Bridget had become a fluent lip reader, fluent. And so she could understand what we were saying. She was processing it differently. What she heard was different, but it was the preschool teachers who said something is up. And they recommended an early intervention evaluation. And that quickly revealed that hearing loss was probably at play. And fast forward a couple of weeks, she was officially diagnosed with hearing loss. She was fitted for hearing aids. And you would think that that solves the problem and all the panic goes away. But really, that's where the journey just became more intense because so many of our questions were unanswered. How did this happen? When did this happen? Why did this happen? Is it going to be progressive? Is she going to need cochlear implants? Should we be learning sign Which there were all of these questions and not a lot of crystal clear answers, a lot of gray.
0: And in fact, I was speaking to another couple this week, parents, to a daughter who's hard of hearing, and they were in this this stage at the time that we spoke. And they said, we have so many questions. There's so much confusion, uncertainty. And how do we make her feel that she is not wrong or that there's something that we don't know what to do? We're supposed to have all the answers and we don't. And I actually told them that their daughter, who is a little older, she is nine. You can tell her that you are confused and tell her that you're going through a process of figuring out. And then now you're in it together. Instead of trying to hide from her that this is scary because it's scary for her. So maybe you're scared together and then that's actually what she needs. So I think that's a very common experience to feel and so valid. Thank you so much. I want to jump to Justin. Introduce yourself. Tell us your story and your connection to what we're talking about today.
1: Just to add to Valerie's amazing story, everybody has a story and it needs to be heard. It needs to be shared. So thank you for having us on your show so that we can share this. So I was born with a central neural hearing loss, but they didn't know that at the time. When I was born, they didn't have the newborn screening yet. And so I was almost two years old. I was playing in the sandbox with my older brother, who was about three or four. And my mom came out to tell us, hey, it's time to come in the house and have some lunch. My brother immediately responded and turned and went in the house. And of course, my back was facing my mom. And my mom kept saying, Justin, it's time to come in. And, and I wasn't responding. That was kind of the first time my mom noticed that there was something not quite right with me. And so again, at that time there was not a whole lot of resources and tools out there. Again, the newborn screening wasn't out yet. And And so my mom and my dad kind of had a little panic attack. Like I'm sure you did Valerie and every other mom and dad out there who finds out there's something not quite right with your child. So my mom met with an audiologist and they referred us to go visit with Dr. House in Los Angeles. Dr. House at the time didn't know if it was a conductive loss or if it was a nerve loss, they didn't know. So they did a surgery on my ear to go in and figure out if maybe one of my bones was missing. And maybe if it was something that they could just fix on the spot. At first, they thought it was a conductive loss because there were some things in there. But they pretty soon discovered through surgery and some other research that it was a nerve deafness. So that's when they found out. And so they immediately put me on some hearing devices just to get the brain stimulated and to get me back on my feet, try to catch up. Almost two years behind, my peers living in a world of complete silence. And to me, that was just normal. I thought that was just my world. And then I can't really remember when I was two years old, when I first heard for my first time, that's like 39 years ago. I have a really hard time remembering that, but I can just imagine I was probably nervous. I was probably a little bit scared, like, whoa, what is this? But I do remember my parents put me in this intense speech language comprehension therapy program. I remember they took me all over the country trying to visit with different doctors and they put me in the John Tracy clinic. Lots of different programs, Alexander Graham Bell program, all these different things for the oral speech program. Mm -hmm. My mom didn't want me to do sign language. She wanted me to try to live a normal life. I came from a musical family. So she wanted me to try to fit in as best I could. So I ended up taking about 13 years of intense speech therapy. And I feel like I'm still learning how to talk today my unique deaf accent. Sometimes people ask me when they hear my accent, they ask if I'm from Canada or if I'm from Australia, even England. And I take it as a compliment because I love their accent. But deep down inside, it kind of hurt because I work so hard to try to sound normal. But it's all good, I promise. I don't have that issue anymore. If anything, I have more fun with that today. That's just a little glimpse of my story
0: a few questions for you thank you for sharing your story I read a little about it but I'm glad to hear it from you I take it that was your older brother in the sandbox yes and I think you know you also mentioned that Bridget was not your first so there were older siblings modeling how to behave like everybody goes inside so you go inside or everybody's going to get a cookie so you walk after everyone to get a cookie and I think that's also a common experience with children who are not the firstborn or other children in the house or other family members, cousins, neighbors and it's very common for hard of hearing and deaf children to be very visual and be extraordinarily aware of their surroundings visually. I learned that when I was in one of my placements in my training and the audiologist I was working with was very experienced. We saw a few-month-old baby, maybe six-month-old, half-year-old a baby. And she said, just watching the way the baby was interacting, that their eyes were everywhere and their head was moving a lot more than a six-month-old who is hearing. And she already had a suspicion about the hearing levels of this particular child because of the behavior. So that was something that I had learned and stuck with me. When you see babies and toddlers, how they behave many times can give you some inkling like if they're one step behind other children it might be because they didn't actually hear the directions to come inside they're just doing what everyone's doing that's one thought i had from what you spoke and then the other part is i'm curious now as an adult if you look back on what your parents uh, invested in you and took you all those places and put you in all those programs if you can look back on that and see if you today might've done things differently for yourself, or if you feel like that was a good choice. I know it's kind of a crazy thing to say, you cannot go back and the world is different and things are different, but I'm curious to hear your reflection on what that experience was like for you.
1: It's a great question. Growing up, I was kind of a tough kid. I was a hard child. I feel bad for my mom. (laughs) Looking back now, if it wasn't for my sweet mom, And my dad and my audiologist and my hearing specialist and my speech language pathologist, my mentors, my teachers, my deaf educators, everyone that's been involved. If it weren't for them, I swear today I would not be who I am today. But there wasn't an early intervention in my Mm -hmm. life. I mean, I know I got caught around two instead of later on. And I know I have a lot of wonderful deaf friends. That kind of have a similar story, like me. They're lost. Their audiogram is about the same. But they went through a whole different journey than I did. They didn't have the support. That was the big one. They didn't quite have the, the support and the resources and the help like I got. I was very lucky and blessed to have. And so their voices might be a little bit different. They're an amazing sign and I know sign language now. I love it. It's fun. I have two deaf uncles, to say this, that were, ours are genetic. We did some research, find out that we have the same DNA, and the family hereditary genetic loss. And they're older than I am. And of course, back then, they had nothing like we have today. And so, because of the resources, and, and Lilac, what you are providing for everybody, and, and the education, to help us know so that we don't make those same mistakes back then. So one of my favorite quotes was by Abraham Lincoln. All that I am and all that i become, I owe to my angel mom. Because he has. she never gave up on me. And there's another great quote. that says that you may have tangible wealth untold. And caskets of jewels and coffins of gold. But richer than I, you can never be. I had a mother who read to me. And just reading with me every day, helping me learn how to talk. Because I was, I was struggling. I couldn't read until I was in fourth grade. I was reading from left to right. And then I go to the next line, I read from right to left. And then go down and read from left to right. But again, thanks to people like you, all you people that I just mentioned, you guys are truly my heroes. And I don't take that lightly. And that's why I'm Partner with Valerie to promote this late onset hearing loss because I'm a recipient of that. Valerie, your daughter, and I know Dr. Lilac, you've been involved with many patients like this as well. So I think this is a very important issue that we're dealing with, and we just need to take action on that.
0: Awesome. Okay, so great. That leads us right into the next part of our conversation. So back to you, Valerie. I'd love to hear more about the challenges over the years through Bridget growing up. And specifically about how it affected the rest of the family, her older sister, even extended family, grandma, other people, how other people were reacting to what was going on in your family.
2: When Bridget was identified with hearing loss, every single human being connected to our family was shocked. No one could believe it. We were in a state of disbelief. And I think part of that was because we assumed she understood us. We just could not wrap our minds around the fact that this was connected to a significant hearing loss. And there were a lot of different responses to that. There were family members that encouraged us to get hearing aids. There were family members that were really emotionally, really emotionally impacted. I think they felt it more than I thought that they would. And my husband and I, Chris, we really felt strongly that we need to take a different approach. We need to go all in. Um, Go big or go home and bright colors. And one of the things that we did was with all of her hearing aid molds, whenever she got new ones, we had color coordinated cupcakes. So the swirl on the cupcakes always matched the hearing aids that she was getting. And she could invite anybody over to celebrate. Hold on. You're telling me you had a cupcake party every time she got new molds. Our local baker, local business, we explained what we were trying to do. And the first time they were like, we don't get it. And then when we came and said, look, you know, they're coordinated, they went, oh. And so then it was no longer this strange request. (laughs) And the kids were always excited. You know, what are you getting the molds? What are you getting new molds? And I think we did that until she was in middle school. And I think the first time that she got molds and came home and there were no cupcakes, she was like, hey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, And it made it celebratory and it made it fun. And it made us focus on the positive aspect of this part of her.
0: Again, that is so beautiful, and I really hope everyone listening takes that thought, like how to make the experience fun and celebrated, and make other people part of it
2: too. Yeah, we came from this place of panic, and yeah. it's not to say that we were no longer panicked, but we were trying, I guess, in terms of a scale, to offset it with as much positivity as we could creatively think of, and we succeeded in that. And she is fierce and loud and proud and wears her. Brightly colored hearing aids events today and ponytails. And she's always been very just comfortable in this. And we're grateful for that. And I think while part of it is how we handle things on the front end, making a very intentional decision, I do think part of it is just who she is. And I've tried to share that message of making a choice when a child is identified with hearing loss. We do have a choice of how we ourselves attempt to approach it. And we did that without knowing what that would mean later on.
0: Yeah, that's such an important part of my mission with the podcast, with the retreats that I run, and all of the things that I try to bring to the conversation is that something's going on with your child, but something is also going on for you as a parent, and what are you going to do now? Because parenting is like, there is no book. I mean, there's a lot of books, but you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. My oldest child, she doesn't remember a time when we didn't have this or else we're so young, but I do have a very clear memory of taking a shower, you know, thinking I have five minutes of peace and quiet, which of course was a mistake. And America running into the bathroom and like, you have to see this. You have to see this. I'm like, oh my gosh, can't this wait. Is it an emergency? Is anything on fire? And she was like, no, but you have to see this. And I pull the curtain And she's showing me an American Girl doll catalog where they had hearing aids. It was the year that they came out with hearing aids that you could accessorize. And she's like, Bridget has to get these for Christmas. She has to get these for Christmas. And so, even at that young age, she understood the importance of representation and what this type of a thing would mean for her sister. I didn't teach her that. I didn't tell her, like, if you ever see things, she just innately knew that that would be important. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that we can all, as we circle around all of our children, is that representation is important. And I think that children recognize that before the adults do. Yeah. Your older daughter, what is her name? Mary Claire. Mary Claire.
0: So Mary Claire is featured in this book as the main character at points who wants to know why her little sister is getting all these weird tests and doing all these games and why is everyone freaking out? What's going on? And I love that you approach it from Mary Claire's perspective and that she's included too. She was at the appointments and, you know, she had her own experience with it too. So
2: that's one of the things I really appreciate about this book. So tell us more about it if you like. So Patepillow is based on the true story of our family's journey with late onset hearing loss. And I decided at some point to write it through the lens of an older sibling. And that was in part because I had so many emotions and so many things that I did and that we did as a family that it's easier for a child to admit these things. It's easier for a child to say, what are you talking about? When really that's what the adults were thinking. So it made for a better story to tell it through the lens of the older sibling. And I also wanted to recognize that Siblings are siblings first, and they are very much a part of the journey. Mary Claire, it doesn't show it in this story, but you know she was she was um, using the tools that we learned in early intervention during their daily play, um, and we didn't tell her to do that. She observed that and was like, "Oh, is this how we do things now?" And so the siblings play a really important role in the journey, and that is definitely highlighted in the pillow, for sure.
0: Yeah, it's such a beautiful book. Thank you really again for sharing it with me. And there's so many incredible books for deaf and hard of hearing children that people can really find exactly the story that might connect with their family. There's stories about Bajas, there's stories the cochlear implant journey, being older, being younger, new baby, like all the different versions. And I think literature is such an incredible tool for learning overall and seeing other stories so I encourage people to really look into that. And actually the audiologist, Dr. Lindsay Cockburn, listen with Lindsay. She has on her blog like a full beautiful post with lots and lots of books and the different categories. And I recommend that blog post very often for people who say, What books are good for us? And like go look at Dr. Lindsay. She got you covered. She's got the list. <laughs> also going to be having other authors and other books featured further on in other episodes of the podcast, because I love the idea that a book is born from your own life experience and what you needed, what you wish you had when you were doing it. So I think it's incredible. Now she's 16 years old and this is gonna impact a whole nother generation of young families. So I wanna hear from Justin a little more about the other work that you do as well to impact so many families.
1: That's okay, I would like to add to what Valerie was saying. I was very, very lucky as well to have a, an older sibling like Bridget did, you know, her older sister Mary and just being able to have someone you can look up to, someone that you can integrate with, feel like you're a normal person as well, uh, being integrated with all of that. I think that was so important. But also throughout my life, back 40 years ago, I wore the big wire cord coming out of my ears and then I had the big box on my belt. So as you know, technology has come a long ways And unfortunately, back then, I was bullied. People didn't understand hearing loss or deafness very well, like they do today. I think it's very much more well accepted today than it was 30, 40 years ago. It wasn't necessarily that they didn't know much about it. They also didn't know how to react towards someone that had wires coming out of their ears. It was just so different. And I kind of stood out. But I bring that up because my older brother, he and I, luckily, we went to the same school. He was just one grade above me. And so he was always... My brother keeper—he always had my back. And one time, in between class, it was in uh, middle school. Uh, you know, how in between class, you have like five minutes to get to the next class. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget—I was in my locker, and I turned around because I got my next book to go to my next class, and these two big kids just shoved me against the locker. Mm-hmm. They just started making fun of all these wires coming out of my ears and just horrible things that no child could ever have to hear. And I'll never forget, I looked up and they were gone. And my older brother had grabbed both of them and just shoved them against the wall on the other side of the hallway. And told them to don't dare lay a finger on my brother. And I've never seen him ever since then. But times like that, of course, it doesn't make it right. Of course, we could never induce violence on anybody. But it was unfortunate that I went through a lot of bullying, being bullied myself. But it taught me to be more sympathetic and empathy uh, towards others. It wasn't that they didn't understand, they just didn't know how to react. So that's why it's so important to educate, which is what we're doing today. I personally believe that every single one of us has something about themselves that's broken. Whether it's physically, mentally, spiritually, uh, intellectually, whatever it may be. And, but that's just who we are. Once we can accept ourselves for who we are and not what we are, the way the world looks at it, we'll be so much happier with ourselves. Like Bridget, for example, Valerie. I love how she accepts herself for who she is. And because of that, she's not ashamed of the beautiful, colorful ear mold. Because that's who she is. And nobody should be ashamed of that. I had an identity crisis growing up, you know, being born into this world-renowned musical family and trying to fit in, and it was just really hard for me. But until I learned to accept myself for who I was and not what I was, Bridget is so far ahead of me. She's already there. She's already embraced
0: that. Do you mind if I challenge you a little bit on the word broken? Because I think a lot of people, especially people in our community, All About Audiology podcasts and our community, there's a lot of pushback to words like fixing or broken because there's this perspective that there isn't anything actually wrong, it's a difference. But I also think that sometimes that perspective is used as a way to cover up that there's things needed, intervention, resources, and help and access and accessibility. So it's an interesting semantic kind of dance you know, people will reclaim the word disabled or even deaf, which for many years was considered not a nice word. Don't call someone like definitely not deaf and dumb. But even the reclamation of words like disability, that that's not a bad word. It's an interesting dance, I guess, is what I'm bringing up. <laughs> I, pr- I
1: really appreciate you bringing that up. If I may, may clarify a few things. First of all, I have a really hard time with the phrase hearing impaired. That's what my parents said, but I've tried away from that. I only say uh, deaf and hard of hearing or a hearing loss, hearing impairment. I just don't like the word impairment. Now, when I said the word broken, let me just go in a little bit more depth. So I believe we need to get rid of the misconception or the misunderstanding that just because something in our life is broken, that we're impaired or disabled. No, it's not a curse, but a blessing. It's not a penalty, but an opportunity. And so, because when I talk to a lot of corporations, A lot of times people have a hard time relating to a hearing loss because they don't have a hearing loss. But what I try to explain to everybody is that everybody does have something with themselves. Nobody's perfect physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it may be. I believe every single one of us has a challenge that they're dealing with or they have some type of a limit or adversity or trial, whatever that may look like in their life. I really believe that nobody is exempt from that. In my case, my ears are a little bit broken, but guess what? I have a personal motto. I may have a hearing loss, but my hearing loss did not have me. It doesn't define me. It doesn't control me. I love my hearing loss, by the way. It's who I am. It's who Bridget is. It, it's all of your patience. That's who we are. But the thing that we need to be careful with is if we let it hold us back, if we limit that. So in other words, shouldn't let it define us, but we should let it refine us. Just because our hearing is a little bit broken, and I'm okay to say that, I don't think there's any negative connotation to that. I don't like to sugarcoat things. It is what it is. But because of that, that challenges me. I love the word challenge. When you say that, that's a big thing for me. It makes me want to be better and to do better. And so, for example, I've always wanted to play the violin. And I was told I could never play the violin because they told me that my ears were broken. I like to prove people wrong. And so I learned to play the violin, not by hearing it, but by feeling it through the conductive vibrations of the instrument. And so when the world shouts, uh, you can't do it, I I really believe, again, through wonderful help like you, Dr. Lelac and Valerie, you instill in us the confidence, the self-esteem that we need. Because I would have had this had someone not intervened and helped me through all of this so that we can do what we want to do. So I hope that answers your question. I don't ever like to offend people because of the word broken. Because you're right, that does have a negative connotation to it. But instead, just look at it this way. We may have a, a challenge, but we should not let that challenge have us, own controllers, or define us.
0: I'm so grateful that you said everything that you just said, because the truth is, the kernel is that everybody on every side of the debate of all different words and different modalities and different worlds, everybody wants the same, which is relationships, community, accessibility, respect, dignity. Everyone actually wants the same for their children and for themselves. There's just different ways to get there. If we get stuck on the level of the words and the terminology, we don't go forward. But then there is still room for learning. Even in my studies, learned about hearing impaired as the term. And there's a lot of changes. So another one that I recently have heard is to say what the hearing levels are, hearing levels rather than hearing loss. And I know, Valerie, you've been using the word identified as opposed to diagnosed because it was identified that the child was deaf or hard of hearing. But I do know that it gets dicey, especially when there is a medical aspect and then that is diagnosed. So it's always kind of very case by case. And I hope that people can take away respect for one another and also a lot of self-forgiveness for not knowing what you don't know until you learn it and just being on a process collectively on the journey of this podcast <laughs> and with each other in the world.
1: I appreciate that. Some people have got to take it with a grain of salt sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear one thing and, and then interpret it in such a different way. I think that there's no right way for all people. Everybody has a different scenario, a different okay. situation. And so whatever is best for that patient, when it comes to communication, when it comes to to hearing and comprehension, whatever it may be, I don't think there's one blue book that will fit everybody because everybody is different. My situation is different than Bridget. My hearing loss is different than everybody. So we just have to be sensitive towards that and be supportive of whatever decision they want to do, but don't ever let it limit them. You know, don't, don't limit your challenges, challenge your limits. Because I think we all have limitations. I really do. And that's what makes you stronger and better people. But just don't go around tearing people down when they're trying to figure things out. But I am grateful they got rid of the term deaf and dumb. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of education that happens collectively, but I also think there's still room. So we have this conversation a lot around how the audiologists can give the news that the baby is identified and what that conversation is. If the audiologist comes in and says, oh, this is the tragic, I'm so sorry, that kind of perspective, that's what the parents get. And there's a shift there. Valerie, I'd love to hear more from your perspective on that.
2: Yeah, I think we're on the edge of that shift. I really, really do. Both with kind of the terminology and what people's preferences are and just respecting the fact that there's actually a wide variety. But in terms of how that initial conversation goes, the day of diagnosis, the day of identification. Again, there's a lot of different words that can be used and families get to choose which terminology they're comfortable with. We are right on the edge of, I think, a wave of audiologists who acknowledge the importance of holding space, of recognizing the difficulty of that initial conversation and subsequent conversations, Um, physically what happens, mentally what happens when someone receives that information, and how best to work with the family as they go through the process of digesting that information and absorbing it and figuring out what to do. And I'm seeing more and more audiologists attending workshops on holding space, reading, writing articles about the importance of meeting the emotional needs of families that I really feel like we are on the verge of a generation that will have a different experience at the moment of official diagnosis than certainly Justin's generation and mine but that of my children i think it will be different for them i hope so too a hopeful bend (laughs) awesome
0: all right this is an incredible conversation i feel so lucky to be able to facilitate these kind of thoughts with people from really around the world actually where are you guys located you're in east coast and you justin
1: i'm on the west coast
0: i'm in utah Lovely. And I am in Israel. It's wonderful. Thank God. The wonders of the internet and Zoom, what should I say? We could have deep, meaningful interactions that also then spread and have more impact, I hope, through the listeners of the show is really, I think, also part of the change. A lot of paradigm shifts overall. So we hope to carry that through. So please.
1: If I may, I just want to say on behalf of the deaf and the hard of hearing, thank you. Both of you, Dr. Lilac and all you're doing, all the breakthrough technology that you guys are providing for us so that we can have a better quality of life. You are literally the bridge builders so that we can walk across, Bridget and I, so that we can literally, I mean, hear with conviction, be able to speak with passion. All these things would not be happening today if it weren't for you guys And this wonderful podcast and helping make that happen so i just wanted to quickly just mention that so thank you for believing in us helping us and supporting us and you guys are our hope i hope is a big word and i remember back when i was younger you know we had the feedback issues. we had so many issues but today that's no longer the case i'm a power junkie i love power but anyway thank you from the bottom of my heart
0: i guess i have a lot of audio engineers researchers all sorts of educational giants to thank for that. I'm just sitting over here having a podcast, but you're, you got it. <laughs> All right. Let me hear from you where people can find you and learn more about you or connect with
2: you. So we'll start with you, Valerie. People can find me personally at valeriejamesabbott.com. And the new book, Pat a Pillow. Yes. And that is on Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Amazon. Congratulations. Thank you. And how about you, Justin?
1: I represent the Olive Osmond Hearing Fund. You can find that at hearingfund.org. We're excited about this. Hopefully uh, we can find those people, identify those people, discover those people that may need some help. We can't do much alone, but together, all of us together, we can do so much more to help. So thank you.
0: Amazing. Thank you both so much for coming on the All About Audiology podcast. I am so, so grateful to have you as a listener and as a reminder there's also a Patreon for the podcast for anyone who is interested in supporting this work. It's at patreon.com/allaboutaudiology. Thank you both. Bye.
1: Bye-bye.